If you want to learn any skill nowadays, what's the first thing you do? You go to youtube.com and you search whatever it is you need to do. I need to replace the water pump on this model vehicle from this year, and it'll tell you exactly how to do that. You go to YouTube and you find someone who's done the thing before. You find someone who's, a, who's skilled at that skill, who's a master at that skill, and you let them become your example. Whether it's a sport or mechanics or woodworking or sewing or baking or whatever the skill is, you have to find an example. You have to find someone to imitate. That was true before the days of YouTube too. You just had to find that person in real life or in a book. But whether we like it or not, that is how mankind learns, is by imitation, by example, by being shown how to do something by someone who's done it and figured it out before. Whenever you go to school, this has this built in to a degree, especially if you get into a specific kind of schooling. For instance, as a pastor, I had to go do a vicarage where I had a pastor that I shadowed for a year to learn how to be a pastor. And the other three years of seminary classes, they were fine enough for book learning, but that's where you really cut your teeth. That's where you really learn how to do the thing. This is true if you're a welder, you gotta go and shadow other welders. It's true if you're a doctor, you have years of residency where you shadow other doctors. Paul says this is true about the Christian life, too. This is built into nature. Verse 17, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk. Note those, pay attention to those who walk like me. As you have us, he's talking about himself and the other pastors, the other apostles and evangelists, as you have us for a pattern. And this is not the only place he says this. In 1 Corinthians, he talks about this a couple times. 1 Corinthians 4.16, I urge you, imitate me. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God. I'll be the first to tell you, maybe I'm not quite as confident in Paul about talking this way. Sometimes I feel weird whenever I have to preach or teach about pastors in the pastoral office because I feel like I'm just talking about myself too much. But I do think that is a danger in modern Christianity. Yes, the Bible is clear that we're all equally sinners, including pastors. We all equally have temptations that lead to sin. But the Bible is also clear that not all Christians are the same in this way. Some Christians have more wisdom. We learned about wisdom in Proverbs 8. Some Christians have more wisdom than other Christians. And God also grants different people different gifts, different spiritual gifts. Some of those gifts that God grants different people are the ability to teach, the ability to lead, and yes, the ability to be examples. And it's also true that we grow in faith while here on earth, that we're being sanctified, 
And so it is the case that a Christian who is older and wiser should be, in one sense, further along in sanctification. Now hear that the right way, don't hear that the wrong way, that we're not talking about progressive sanctification where eventually we're going to get to the point when we're old enough that we don't sin anymore, something like that. But as we grow in the faith, the longer we live in the faith, the longer the Spirit is working in our hearts, the more we fight against sin, the more Christ works in us, the more we receive his gifts of mercy, we grow in our ability to fight sin. We grow in following God's statutes. And so... It's the case, as I said, that some Christians are wiser than others. Some Christians are better examples than others. And all of that is to say this, that like Paul says to the Philippians and to the Corinthians and to the Ephesians, you should find someone to imitate. Find an example. Now, maybe it's your pastor. Maybe it's an elder in the church. Maybe it's an elder family member who has been a diehard, faithful Christian for a long time and has a set devotional life and can give you good life, proverbial, biblical wisdom. Paul talks about himself and the other pastors. But regardless of who it is, you need models. You probably need more than one for different things. I have different models, different examples, that I, different people that I imitate in different ways when it comes to different things in the Christian life. But you need a guide. Paul says it this way in Romans, how can they hear if they don't have a preacher to preach to them? How can you learn if you don't have someone to imitate, if you don't have an example? Christianity is not just you and your Bible locked in a room somewhere. Christianity is a community, and communities have guides and examples and leaders. Just like you can't learn woodworking on your own if you just go lock yourself in a shop with wood and a saw, but you've never woodworked before, and you don't have any books, and you don't have YouTube, it's going to take you a long time to figure out how to do a dovetail joint. You'll probably never figure it out on your own. So is the Christian life. It is good to have examples to give us wisdom in times of times when we're unsure about which direction to go. It's good to have examples to learn how to structure a devotional life from. It's good to have examples to learn what books to read. It's good to have examples to learn all sorts of things in the Christian life. Now, the second thing that Paul goes on to talk about when he's talking about examples, and he's very quick to get here in the following verse, is that there's also bad examples. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping. This is something that weighs on Paul. This is probably what he's talking about when he talks about the thorn in his flesh as well. Is that there are people who come along in the church and out of the church who take those who are in the church and are bad examples. They walk not in the way that Paul and the other pastors, the evangelists, are walking, 
but they walk in a way that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is their destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Now, Paul here is probably talking about one or two or or both of these things, either both the, the Judaizers, these false teachers that were going along in the New Testament early church and telling the Gentiles who he had ministered to and who he had baptized that they had to become circumcised if they really wanted to be true Christians, these kind of latent Pharisees in the New Testament in the time of the epistles. Or he's also possibly talking about pagans, these Gentile pagans outside the church who are still tempting and leading those who have converted, trying to lead them back astray, the ones who worship false gods. And I think we can take both of those as examples of bad examples for us today, because we have those things too. We don't specifically have Judaizers and people who worship Roman gods, but we do have false teachers in the church, and we also have pagans who are examples for people who people in the church listen to outside the church. We have false teachers within the church who, for instance, this is one category of false teacher that sometimes you come across, are what we call antinomians, those who teach that the law doesn't matter once you're a Christian, those who teach that you can live whatever wicked and debaucherous life after you've converted, And you'll still be forgiven of your sin. Paul deals with this in Romans 6. He says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. There are people who would deny that verse. False teachers who would say, it's okay. Just live however you want. The more you sin, the more you can see God's grace in your life. We also have false teachers who teach what we call maybe the other kind of popular False teaching today is to just treat the church like an entertainment and a marketing venue that's just there to satisfy the itching ears of those who are in the pews, those who are in the chairs, just trying to preach whatever meets the desires of the masses, whether that's a social justice campaign or whether that's earthly prosperity for those who, if they just believe hard enough, but the kind of Preachers who are not there to preach the Bible alone, not there to preach the hard truths of Scripture, not there to preach sound doctrine for the comfort of the people, but there to preach to itching ears. So those are some false teachers you should watch out for. There are more, too, but we'll stick with those today. But we also have pagans as examples. In a more and more post-Christian society, we have celebrities who do not at all, of course, uphold Christian values. For the young men out there, there's a guy, maybe if you're a young man, you've heard of him. Maybe if you're not, you haven't. A guy named Andrew Tate, but I always have to talk to the college students about this guy because he teaches you how to get lots of women and how to get lots of money and teaches all sorts of kind of pagan things, but he puts it in a way that is attractive to young men who live in a post-Christian society because he talks about masculinity and he talks about all the hardships of 
living in the kind of over-feminized and over-sexualized world today, but he takes it in a completely wrong direction. He says he's Muslim, but maybe he's really not. Anyway, that's just one example of someone to mark and avoid, but someone who has kind of gotten a foothold a little bit in the Christian church. I don't know about the young women celebrities, but I can tell you that they don't dress modestly most of the time today, and they're not worthy of imitation. And that's just for the young people. There are older pagans, too. There are politicians, and there are washed-up hippies who still hammer the cause of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But I tell you, with all of these, whether false teachers in the church, whether pagans outside the church, their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame. It's a good diagnostic test if you want to know if someone is worthy of imitation or not. Do they glory in their shame? Do not imitate them. Find a better example. Their mind is set on earthly things. And this is where Paul gets into what he's really driving toward with this whole issue of examples and imitation. Is that we're looking toward the future. Because whoever you imitate, whoever your example is, you're going to follow on that path. There's a narrow path that leads to salvation and there's a wide path that leads to destruction. And so when you're picking someone to imitate, make sure you're picking someone who's on the narrow path. Who's not going to lead you astray. Because our citizenship is not of this world. Our citizenship, Paul says, is in heaven. And so when we're looking at the end of those paths, one is destruction, the other is heaven. Get on the right path. Get on the path, Paul says, that you're already on. He wants you to find a good role model, a good master, a good example because of where you're going. We await from that end a Savior, Jesus Christ. And that changes everything. If it was true that our end were our destruction, or even if it was just true that when the end of our life came that we just kind of melted into the ground and nothing else happened, that death was just a biochemical reaction and that we just gave nitrogen and calcium to the plants after we died, it wouldn't really matter who our role models were. It really wouldn't matter matter if our God was our belly. But that's not the case. Our end will either be in an eternal hell, a punishment for sins, or it will be in heaven. A perfect reward for righteousness on the account of the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ by his blood. And if that's true, which it is, we must walk that way. We must be on the path that we have been placed on. 
Notice how confident Paul is, not just in his ability to be someone to imitate, but also in this fact, our citizenship. Those of you who are in the church, those of you who hear the shepherd's voice and believe what he says, those who Paul preaches to, those who I'm preaching to today, our citizenship is in heaven. You are baptized. You belong to him. You are washed. You believe in him and have apprehended his salvation by faith. You are saved. And so us are, Paul speaks in the first person plural here, are fellow Christians. We can be confident that this is the path we're on. For Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, the chosen Messiah, who bore our punishment for our sins on the cross, in his body, on the tree, and was raised again by the glory of the Father, he is powerful. He is able to bring all things, Paul says, subdue all things under his control. He is able to transform our lowly bodies, the bodies that struggle against sin on this earth, the bodies that are constantly tempted to go off on that wide path, the bodies who are constantly tempted to believe the false teachers and to follow after the foreign gods. He is able to transform those bodies to be like that of his glorious resurrected body. And so we have no reason to doubt. We can be confident like Paul is confident that we've been put on this path. And so then, being put on that path, why not imitate faithful Christians? Why not imitate faithful pastors? Why be tempted to turn away? You're walking towards heaven. Your path is heavenward all the way, but you're not walking alone. So find a model, find an example, I urge you be imitators, imitators of the saints, yes, but this is what Paul always drives towards with imitations, imitators ultimately of Christ himself, of God himself, and to that God, who we imitate, be all the glory now and forever. Amen. We stand to sing the offertory together.